0: Hello and welcome to another special bonus episode of The Storyteller, Murder Most Foul. I'm Isla Traquair. And boy, is there a lot to delve into following the main fourth episode, The Confession. And without giving too much away, because I'm telling the story chronologically, there's a lot more to come in future episodes. And I've got exclusive interviews with a number of key people who have never spoken about the case before. There may have been a confession by 20-year-old chef Pamela Gourley, but the story doesn't end there. So as you heard, all the answers had been metres from the scene of the crime the whole time. But just because a murder had occurred there, it didn't mean that they could automatically search the building. A warrant is needed and with a good reason why. So the building had been cordoned off and anyone who wasn't there when the body was found wasn't allowed back in. Interestingly, forensic scientist Chris Garnicliffe had put in his notes that a young female had been trying to gain access past the police tape with an apparently innocent intention.
1: It's interesting, just looking through my notes in advance of this, to see that myself and a scene a crime officer I had identified to uh, at one of the police briefings that we have been approached twice now in examining Melanie's flat in that first week, been approached by a female asking if she could gain, because she said she lived there, and could she have access to it, because she had some clothing she wanted to get out.
0: Was there anyone else living upstairs, though? Don't think so.
1: Don't think so. Mm -hmm.
0: So the conclusion you could draw is that it was her. It could uh,
1: well be, and maybe she wanted to get that clothing out, because she knew it was incriminating uh, and was within there.
0: Well, we can't know for sure if that was indeed Pamela Gurley, Melanie's upstairs neighbour. Police had been having difficulty tracking her down because she'd been staying with family. But when they did finally track her down, it was with the intention of seeing if she had heard anything, how she knew Melanie, if she'd been there at the time. And what they gathered was that although they shared a bathroom upstairs, they'd only had two interactions. Pamela had passed her once and I think said hi. And on the second occasion, she'd borrowed an iron from Melanie. So she had actually been in that room. We already know that Melanie's family say that she was really shy and safety conscious, so she literally wouldn't have opened the door of her living room come kitchen to anyone else. Even if her parents were visiting, they had to ring ahead before going to the main front door, and this, of course, was the internal door. The story unravelled very much how I've told it, and also the police and forensics explained and I've deliberately not injected drama or a big reveal because that's just not how it happened. They talked to her. She was helpful. The bank CCTV was fine, but even then it wasn't definite. Pieces of the jigsaw came together at the same time, piece by piece. Now the timeline becomes pretty crucial, so I'll need you to remember this for future episodes. On the Friday night, she and Chris Taylor, her then boyfriend, were rounded at a friend's house, Clare Forbes. They left in a taxi. Former DS Peter Riley explains the rest.
1: On the Friday night, they were at Clare's, I think. They'd been smoking um, cannabis. They'd possibly been taking tamazepam or, or other um, drugs. If I remember right, they weren't into heroin or cocaine or anything like that, or crack cocaine, which was maybe in vogue at that time. Um, and they were there until the early hours. They got a taxi from Tilly to 188 Great Western Road. I seem to recall they went by a bank and couldn't get money. Um, and they arrived at 188. Chris left to go to the flat and, um, which would suggest he had keys for it, but th- th- in any case, um, Chris left first and Pamela spoke to the taxi driver explaining she would no money. I don't know if she was out of her face or not, but I, I seem to remember she said she was. They went to the flat, they stayed in the flat from one, two, three in the morning through to just before eight. I think they slept together. Um, they did sex together, according to her. Um, and then they left just before eight o'clock in the morning. And again, obviously, w- there was evidence from others to, to support that subsequently, that I think the newspaper shop, the lady that she'd tried to beg a pound off for Chris's bus fare, Um, and I think there was CCTV in Union Street as well to support that 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 happened
0: So you heard there that Pamela had asked for money from a stranger now that might sound odd nowadays if someone's asking for some spare change it usually means they're homeless but back in 1999 when you had to have an exact bus fare and it was coins it wasn't uncommon to ask someone hey do you have a pound I did it myself so don't read too much into that Now, the man with the overview was the senior investigating officer, Sandy Kelman. And there was more and more information coming to him, which led him to ask for a warrant to search her house.
2: She was used to handling knives. She worked in a kitchen and helped prepare food, knew how to handle knives. And during our investigation, we learned that she, later on the Saturday... gone out into town with her parents and from early on the day having no money she seemed to have money to able to spend on that Saturday afternoon with her parents so that was a bit puzzling Uh, one minute you've got no money the next minute you seem to have enough money to spend on things.
0: Some of these procedures won't be known in other countries what was the situation at that point, where there was someone murdered in the building, but it doesn't mean that you can automatically go and look in every every room in that building?
2: No, you can't. Um, you have to get uh, a warrant signed by a sheriff. And I do recall um, this evidence took time to accumulate over the week. I mean, I obviously said at the beginning there that we learned about this horrific murder on the Monday evening. And uh we started the inquiry um from that night into the Tuesday. That whole week it took us time to accumulate this evidence pointing towards Pamela Gourlay over a number of days. And I do recall it was by the following weekend that we really had a lot of this information and I went to the procurator fiscal on the Monday morning um to discuss the case and the request that this evidence had become apparent, which tended to indicate that Pamela Gourley could be responsible, and I would therefore need to get a warrant to actually formally go into her flat to search it.
0: So a quick explainer. A sheriff is not the same as a sheriff in America. A sheriff is effectively a judge and they preside over the sheriff court, which deals with the less serious crimes. And a high court judge presides over the high court. But it's the sheriff that has the powers to sign warrants. And a procurator fiscal is effectively a prosecutor. They represent the Crown. What was it that started to draw your gaze towards Pamela Gurley?
2: As part of our trawl through the various CCTV camera footage, we learned that they had parted their ways in Aberdeen City Centre and Pamela Gurley had returned back to the flat and we actually had CCTV footage which showed her walking down a Great Western Road back towards the flat. So we were fairly confident she was in the flat on that Saturday morning, about the time that the student couple downstairs heard some sort of noise, a scream or or shouts. Um, And we knew, of course, that she appeared to have no money.
0: I saw the CCTV of Pamela returning, and it's quite chilling. She's dressed in light clothes and obviously went back into her home. She told detectives she was up in her apartment for about half an hour... And in that time, she had put on a black top, black jeans, dark DMs, a jacket, a grey felt sun hat, latex gloves. And then she took one of her chef's boning knives and went downstairs. What was the catalyst for her deciding to change her clothes and go to Melanie's door?
1: As I best recall, no. I don't think she ever gave us the, 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 the catalyst for that. Um, and, you know, in, in truth, my, my interaction with Pamela Gourley was almost restricted to the interview in RSVP and the tape-recorded interview. I didn't have much interaction with her, apart from what was um, there in, in, uh, as evidence either in her initial statements or indeed the, the interview uh, under caution.
0: When you got home that night and sat down to have dinner with your wife, how did you feel?
1: Um you know, it's, it's a real mix, clearly, in terms of having succeeded in um, a line of the investigation and, you know, effectively clearing the, the murder as a, as a team, there's a, a certain element of satisfaction. But that satisfaction, you know, has is, is, um, got to be totally balanced with the just the, the sadness and emotion that then um, surrounds the investigation. And, you know... I think that that solves the case. up to that point, of course, you can afford to be or not, you can't afford to be emotional, you're very objective about it. But once the admission has been made by Pamela and everything surrounding that, then you can afford to be a bit more understanding of the whole circumstances. and um, yeah whilst maybe quietly sort of satisfied about the successful conclusion to that point. And um, there, there's no celebration, there's no mass celebration about this because there's so much tragedy surrounding it.
0: I've read the transcript and I've watched the police interview. And I know I keep using this word, but it's the only appropriate word to describe them, and that's chilling. And it's hard to believe what is still to come. But bear in mind at this point, Pamela Gurley has just been charged with murder and we've a long way to go before the court case. For the press, which included me, all we knew was that a woman had been charged. And as you can imagine, we were just as shocked, as my old colleague Shona Hendry recalls.
3: As a reporter, we're always looking for what what can we tell about this person from the um, the scarce information um, that we have. So we knew her name, we knew her age, and then we saw her address. And then we realised that obviously it was the, the same address. And so clearly she was a neighbour, and therefore presumably um known known to melanie it was someone who lived in the same um the same block um and that's you know to to see that information and then kind of realize yeah this is this is um you know someone that that was known to her when you think you know how it's going to play out and then that was just a complete curveball and um we did not didn't see that coming at all um you know then you're kind of thinking well question you know, who who is you know who's this person who is this person and you know what could possibly have have gone on you know it's just um uh, it was not what anybody expected um and especially for her to turn out to be um again the same kind of age as um as, as me and as us and you know and as Melanie as well you know it's uh, it just kind of made it all the more shocking that it was um it was one of her her peers rather than you know a, a a stranger or you know someone perhaps older or you know a man the kind of the, the person that you're expecting it, it was just so so unexpected and um and the fact that it had been such a violent attack made it all the more shocking that it was a young a young woman
0: unlike in other parts of the world when someone is charged in scotland the press coverage literally shuts down but behind the scenes us journalists are beavering away on what we call backgrounders Alison Shaw and I were both tasked with this in the months that followed for our respective newspapers.
4: Yeah, we were being very careful when we knew that somebody had been arrested, because clearly you want to know who it is. And when we discovered um, who had been arrested, I mean, this was someone who was even younger than, than the victim, and a woman, and that was what we hadn't expected at all. I think we did, we did have the name, but we didn't use it. We did see it was a neighbour, but that's basically when the curtain comes down, you know, on everything until the trial because everything's sub judice. You can't make any um, allegations, you can't discuss anything uh, about the case, you can't talk about the type of people that are involved, you can't say, for example, if you knew that the accused had previously done something, you just, you can't, because you'll prejudice the whole trial. So it's basically radio silence until the actual court case starts. But that doesn't mean that we're not doing things in between times and that's what we were, we were doing. We were talking to all of the people that knew her, as many people that we could find who knew her, um, who knew Melanie, who knew Pamela Gourley when she was uh, growing up, so that we were getting all of the background information, um, accumulating everything, pictures, that's the other thing. You, you're trying to get as much as you can in the bag what you're learning is what her friends thought of her her parents never spoke to us um so we did find a couple of school friends who she was just like them until she was i think maybe about 13 or 14 and then that's when she started smoking dope
0: quick note dope is cannabis resin effectively marijuana and that was and still is illegal in scotland
4: And that was when they said they had an ultimatum for her. I think they gave her a couple of ultimatums and they kind of drifted apart a bit. And then, of course, when they left school, they saw her less frequently, but they did know that she was taking drugs. And again, they said to her, you know, that's really not the life we want, you know. But by that time, she was just this independent person. She got away from this very small rural community and was her her own woman now.
0: Her own woman holding down a good job, a good social life. But behind the scenes, all was not as she presented. And you're going to learn a lot more about this in the next episode because I have an exclusive interview with her closest friend from the time. The friend whose home she was at the night before and hours after the murder. The friend who had an eight-month-old baby. A baby that Pamela often babysat. And she had no idea what her sweet, kind, caring friend was capable of or that she was about to be interrogated by association. All that and more in episode five of the storyteller, Murder Most Foul. It's called The Tale of Two Women. If you're enjoying this, please go onto iTunes and rate and review. And there's lots more information on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Thank you for listening.